Welcome to this brand new episode of Ceremony Circle. I am Allison Charles Story, the official Ceremony Circle guide and also best-selling author of Animal Power Book and Card Deck. And today we are joined by Krista Williams. She is the co-founder of Almost 30. That is a top 50 podcast global brand and community. Krista had a background in digital marketing, sales, and strategy at a Fortune 100 company, but she left the corporate world behind to build Almost 30 from the ground up alongside her best friend and co-host, Lindsay. Since its inception in 2016, Almost 30 has grown to more than 50 million downloads, has been nominated for Best Wellness Podcast and Best Spirituality Podcast by iHeartRadio. Krista leads worldwide events, digital programs, including the Law of One Book Club, and has a membership platform to fuel her community's conscious evolution. And as the co-founder of Podcast Pro, Krista guides others to build their own dream podcast and career. And most recently, she has released her first tarot deck called Making Tarot Modern. And I just know you are going to vibe with what Krista and I dive into today, fam. We cover things like being an empath, how that can affect navigating life and relationships, empath teachings, how you can see your sensitivities as your greatest gifts, the journey of her recent breakup and the deepest lessons that that taught her, how she and her almost 30 co-founder Lindsay have made it as friends and business partners all these years. Krista really shares honestly about this and the steps that they've both taken to ensure their longevity. Krista's own personal experiences in various ceremonies, including ones that work honorably with plant medicine, and so much more. This one packs a majorly refreshing energy, fam. So please join us now in the power in being an empath, how you can allow your sensitivities to be your greatest gifts. Thanks for bringing the Roadrunner medicine. The Roadrunner medicine is present. Do you want to know that this was my very first tattoo? I think I, I was wouldn't have guessed. 15 or 16, <laughs> right? Yeah, I know. But you didn't select that in your 30s. Yeah. You didn't want the Looney Tunes Roadrunner at your 40. Yeah, 15 or 16, used my high school boyfriend's sister's ID as you do and went up to Sturgis, Michigan. The guy clearly knew it wasn't me, looked at the ID, looked at me with a side eye and was like, come on back. What do you want? And I have to say, it's potentially the most well done tattoo of all the ones that I have. I mean, the irony. It's just funny because it's even then you knew. Yes. That's what's so wild. You're like, this is a very weird, odd expression where I'm going to go the media route of how I'm going to express this desire and longing that I have, but it still fits for your life. And yeah, thank you because that's exactly where I was going to go next is I got every single tattoo long before I had my spiritual awakening and they all make complete sense. They're all shamanic. I mean, this like nature, like vine 
band. I have this quote on my left shoulder blade that says duty determines destiny. And like that, every time I tune into that still all these 20 years later, it gives me a different dose of a meaning and a power every time I like remember, cause I never see that one. It's interesting. The last little tattoo story, and then we'll get to you since I'm supposed I to be in this all day. You. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just talks funny tattoos. Well, you're going to love this one. Then the one on my lower back is an incorrect tattoo. And I kind of love it for that. It was back when Chinese characters were all the rage. I I knew this was going that direction. Uh (laughs) And I was a college student in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And I went to a man named Insanity with blue hairs who gave me the armband, but I went to a different studio in Tuscaloosa to get the lower back tattoo. I have a large star and with gradient colors of red, orange, and yellow. And then in the center, I chose the Chinese character for strength. And then I told one of my high school best friends that I got that. She decided it would be a good idea to get the same. And then when we saw each other that summer, our tattoos were different. And my intuition said, I have the one that's wrong. And it took me fast forward so many years back when I used to be a personal trainer I had a Chinese client and I was like, this is my opportunity. Allison, you got to get in there. You got to face this. And I said, I forget her name. She was the sweetest woman. I said, I'm going to turn around and lift my shirt. I have a tattoo back there. And I want you to be honest with me and tell me what it means. Oh God. (laughs) She was a very soft-spoken, sweet, older woman. And when I turned back around, she had her hands covering her face. And I thought, this is not good. And it actually means little animal. Wow. Yeah. I mean, so out of all the things that could have meant, I will take little animal and fast forward a number of many years, I have an animal power book and animal power deck. The animal power guides are my, aside from Jesus being my main guide, the animal guides have been my dominant supporters. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. It's so wild. And it's so funny too, that you'd be like, I'm in the middle of Michigan. I'm trusting a man (laughs) named Insanity to understand Chinese language. And and the fact that we think that all tattoo artists know Chinese symbolism and know all these things is so crazy. But I just love that because I think oftentimes we can look back at ourselves, the previous versions of ourselves, the ones that were younger in high school and college, we could be like, Oh my God, they didn't know anything. Mm. Like, Oh my God. They're just so unconscious, so unawake and just kind of look down on them. And those are the parts of us that knew Yeah, like there's a cellular knowing that I think we have from a very young age. And when you're reminded of that power and that beauty, it's just so inspiring. Mm. And it can just bring such an element of tenderness and love to ourselves because we want to look on every version and just love and appreciate that version of us. And she just knew. <laughs> oh God. Thank you for bringing that in. This is the empath mastery oh, yes. medicine in you yes. that is evoking. I feel it. And we're definitely going to go down that trail in a bit, but like, thank you for bringing that piece in. It is such a beautiful essence and it is so true. And I want you, if you have a story, yeah. um, tell it after I share this one of when I won my first track national championship. I was very young. The second one, I was much older, but this first one, it actually happened in Texas. So I had a very first medicinal activation here in the state that I now live in. It was in San Antonio and long story short, 
For those who are avid listeners of Ceremony Circle, you probably know at this point that I started running at two and a half. My dad was my coach. It was the whole, whole, whole thing. And fast forward to this age when I'm in Texas and I was at the track national championships and I was qualified in two distance events. And it was the night before my first race and we went to the track to just feel it out and on the fence that surrounds the track they have the listings of all the events and where you are seated coming into this national championship and I'll never forget I went to the 3000 meters was going to be the race I was running the next day found my age group and I'm like okay and I'm running my finger all the way down this list of all these national championship qualifiers I'm like what did they forgive me Oh, I'm actually seated last. I had to run my finger down the complete list to the very bottom. So coming into this race, I had the slowest qualifying time and I was seated and predicted to be last. And I will never forget even 10 year old little Allie, Allie Mills. I just fucking knew Krista. I knew what the real truth was. And the real truth was not only was I going to win and win my first national championship, but I was going to win by a landslide and every cell, Mm -hmm. my blood, my bones, everything in me, even though that paper said the complete opposite, I knew on a cellular level what the truth was. And when we left the track, we headed back to our hotel. And I remember I skipped down the sidewalk to our hotel door. And I remember singing a song that went something like, hang on, let me find it. Mm. I'm going to win the race tomorrow. You know, it was a light, playful song like that. As I was skipping, we went up into the hotel room. This is enough years ago that I don't think cell phones existed. So I had to call my mom from the landline hotel phone. And she said, how are you doing? And I said, I'm going to win tomorrow. And I just, everything, everything was tracking that way. And sure enough, the next day I won and I won by, I think like 25 seconds, which if anyone is a runner, that is a long ass time to cross the finish line before somebody else. And 3000 people. Well, this was a 3000 meter. 3000 meter. Um, Yeah. 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 Not Uh, a runner. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And so it's just you saying what you said evoked that memory in me of the knowing. Yes. And I still, all these years later, sometimes I will track back to that particular attunement because it was so powerful, that knowing. And I'm like, if I want to remember what that knowing feels like, I go to 10 year old little Allie. Yeah. And I love that knowing too, because you had the knowing in joy. Yes. Sometimes people will have the knowing they're like, they look at the list, their bottom of the list and they'll be like, I'm going to win. And it's kind of the Mm. ego. It's the part of us that's like, I want to prove. But your knowing was so true that you found that winning and joy. You're like, oh, this is interesting, but I know I'm going to win. I'm going to evoke song. I'm going to evoke joy. I'm going to evoke movement and make it playful. Mm. Like you knew so much you could be joyful about it. And sometimes we don't really know if we're not being joyful about it. Like you can have the clarity where you're like, I'm going to win. And that's not your actual truth. That's the desire to like prove that makes you win. I think I was probably 
eight to 10 and I was in one of my friends cars with their parents and the mother, it was in a Dodge caravan. I grew up in Ohio. So we got Indiana. I know baby Midwest, (laughs) Midwest gals. We were in this Dodge caravan car and I was in the car and I was talking and the mother turns around and she looks at me and she goes, you have the most beautiful voice. And it was one of those things where there was just like a click. It was like a click happened Hmm. where, you know, in life, Hopefully you've been complimented for various things, whatever it could be, but it was such an interesting, unique compliment Mm. that just hit me very differently on a cellular level. And I'll never forget it. I was like, wow, that was so specific. It felt so resonant. It felt so true. It felt like something woke up in me where I was like, wow, there's a possibility of using my voice for change of using my voice or being in a space where the voice and the tone is like the energetic signature of my soul. And it was just such a random random, beautiful thing. And I just will never forget it. What was that lady's name? Do you remember? I don't know, but I remember it was a Kroger parking lot. I was in the left captain seat. Kroger. Do you remember Kroger baby? I I still, when I go back to Indiana to see my family, I still shop at Kroger. Oh yeah. Same. My family Kroger. It's like a whole thing. Yeah. I just remember where I was. I don't remember whose parent it was, Mm. but I wish that I could, but I'm someone, I don't have very detailed memories of my childhood. I don't either at all. I wish that I did. Even when you were talking, I was like, oh my gosh, I need to think of a memory. I'm like, I don't remember anything, but that's a great one. It's what a powerful seed to plant. You know, I can only imagine the way that that seed that was so resonant for you where my visioning is wanting to track and go is just like at different junctures in your life, Mm -hmm. it's sprouting a little bit more and informing you a little bit more and how that little seed in the Kroger parking lot voyaged you to having a, what is it? A top 30 or 50 podcasts Mm -hmm. in the entire globe. I mean, you're definitely fulfilling that seed Mm -hmm. germination, you know? Yeah. That prophecy. And part of my healing journey with the podcast was really realizing like, why I loved podcasting, why I love to do what I do, why I love to sit with people, why I love to interview people, why I love to speak. And, um, you know, I think when people are discovering their path and purpose, they can think about it in a few different ways. And one of those ways is really looking at some of our trauma, some of the things that have been the hardest in our life. How can we alchemize that to be our gifts? Mm -hmm. And I'm someone that grew up in a family that there was a lot of neglect and there was a lot of different types of abuse, some narcissistic abuse. There was a lot of mental health issues. And so I never actually got a lot of connection. I never actually was able to really feel connected to people. So the way that I learned to connect with people was through asking questions Mm -hmm. and was through almost um, channeling them. And so almost leaving my body and being in their experience so much that I could serve them in that way. And that's Mm. part of my empath path too. So I really learned to attune to people, to ask great questions. And I learned to keep connection by keeping people engaged in specific ways. So all the ways in which that I grew up feeling so alone, unseen and feeling so empty and feeling just so sad was what I use now in my gifts as a podcaster. And what I really use as like part of how I channel everything in the work that I do. And so it's been really beautiful to come to like, I'm so grateful for the ways I was neglected, the ways I was not paid attention to the way I was overlooked, the way I wasn't seen, because now I really use that in the podcast. I wonder how you knew how to do that though. Like the whole half of me is staying stuck in the new of like how at that young age you went 
somehow into the traversing of like, let me ask more questions. Let yeah. me attune to what that person's really feeling inside. Like, is there any yeah. more you can share about that? Yeah. So as a child, really, we have different ways in which we cope with how we, our parents were trying to survive. Trying when to we're survive. Not, yeah. So I was, as a child, you desire connection. I really found connection to be my food as a baby. You're really looking to connect with the mother. So in order for my mother who had the narcissistic tendencies in order for me to connect with her and feel her energetic connection by having her talk, mm. by having her engaged in a question, by having her answer questions. Because let me ask this, if yeah. you were not asking her questions and getting that engagement circuitry and that way was her narcissism kind of overtaking her into like selfishness or yep. self-consumption. Yep. So part of you knew like, if yep. I want to feel her and feel her presence and feel her love, I need to create the circuitry. Exactly. And if it's me talking, I can't guarantee she's going to pay attention. I can't guarantee if I'm telling a story that she'll be here, but I can guarantee if I'm asking her a specific question about herself, that she'll be here. Wow. You learned that so young. That's yeah. And I think many children just learn different ways to cope. Okay. If I perform in this way, my mother or father is going to give me validation. If I say this thing, they're going to give me validation. If I look in this certain way, they're going to validate me for looking in that certain way. So it's just all the ways in which we sort of put on the masks and the ways of being to receive love, validation, and acceptance. And mine was asking questions, self-abandoning, giving my energy to people for their own use and just kind of being someone that would really support others in their process and journey rather than like being in my own full power and embodiment. Huh? So I would love to then hear a couple more of those main spheres of that yeah. journey then, because I can only imagine the evolutionary process of like, when you first started to, let's say, I'm just using this as an example, like in high school, that same mechanism, like maybe all of a sudden you were having like fights with your girlfriends or yeah. there was something started to get distorted. And then I'm also curious, do you remember when you really started to become consciously aware of those mechanisms and then you were able to like start to work with them differently? Yeah. I think that's been my journey recently. Like I didn't really learn until the past couple years that I would almost put a wall up with people where I wouldn't allow a lot of intimacy in my life because I'd be just asking them questions. I would be engaging in their life. It's almost like I would hang out with people and I would interview them. I'd make it so much about them that I wouldn't even talk about myself. I wouldn't share about myself. And it was a way to protect myself from and a way like to control a way to protect yourself. How though? Like, cause there's a small part of me that would be heartbroken if I would be talking about myself and I'd lose connection. Ah, uh, I know that piece. And that's funny. You bring that up. Like that actually is a piece I have observed plenty of times over the years yeah. and really started to outwardly inquire. I brought it up to Luke. I mean, and this is in the last year and a half. Yeah. I brought it up to Luke and also shout out to Kimberly, one of my closest friends here and James, actually, the four of us were having dinner and I spoke it out with a trusted couple friends and my yeah. husband. I'm like, do you guys ever see this happening yeah. to me? Because I see it. And I want to just honestly speak it out in this way in the interview too. So I haven't I don't think shared about it publicly. Sometimes like when Luke and I go to a gathering, people are at 
absolutely enthralled by that man. And I get it. Like, yeah. I mean, he's a special human, but it's fascinating for me to watch like the, how people will gravitate yeah. to him. And we have t- had this conversation a trillion times. This is nothing I'm sharing in a rude way about my husband. He's aware he's incredibly long winded. Yeah. And we've had to work that when we give joint talks and things like we've had to talk about the fact that I feel like I got left hanging for 10 minutes on stage. You're sharing incredible wisdom and I'm here with the mic too. And yet people are with him. And so it's like, I want to honor that too, because they're not losing interest in his 10 minute spiel. So then I will witness that and his ability. And then here I am, this person who's got a radio background, a TV hosting background, a production background. I have a podcast. I've been in media and a communicator for years, yet I will observe when I'm at a gathering and I'm sharing something that I'm totally chill being quiet. I'm totally chill being more like observer at gatherings. So when I speak, I feel I've actually got something to say and I'll watch people pretty freaking quickly trail off yep. and zone out. And I'm like, what is yeah, that? I know exactly. There's also the masculine component of this. So we were, we've been in Austin, we've been doing interviews this week and we've had balance of masculine and feminine interviews, men that present masculine and women that present feminine. And I literally, we had a man leave after an interview and I was like furious Mm. because I'm like, this man would not stop talking Mm. and had no attunement Mm. to us and our presence. I struggle with that. And I'm so attuned. It's to my detriment. Mm -hmm. So if I'm talking to someone and I notice they're, they're trailing off, they're not interested. They're not excited. I will slow down and stop. Mm. Men aren't as attuned to the energetics of the room yeah. or the community. So they're going to talk no matter what, but then their belief in their mind of like, what I'm saying is interesting. I'm interested in this. This sounds good. Like I want to tell you about this, their belief and desire to get and communicate what they're saying overrides and sort of influences the group. But women are reading everyone. We're yes. like, are they paying attention? Are they looking at me? How's their body language? Well, all of this. And it oftentimes screws us because then we kind of stop short. We don't say what we want to say. We lose our power. Totally. And we just kind of give our power away because they're like, oh yeah, she looked away. She's not interested. And so as a speaker, I've had to do so much work around that. And I still have so much to do because I need to actually disengage from the attunement of the group. Mm. And I really need to like attune to God or attune to my soul because I know what I want to say. I know that what I say has power and weight and I know it has purpose if I'm channeling it for the right reasons, but you can get caught up in everyone's like feelings, emotions, Mm -hmm. expressions, but I know exactly what you mean. And it's really heartbreaking. It's fascinating. I feel that that's the attunement. And so oftentimes in relationship too, when you're in a relationship with a partner, that attunement is when you feel the safest. If I'm attuned to my partner, I feel their connection. I feel that they're present. I feel their love. I feel safe. As a woman, when we're attuned to a man, when we're attuned to the masculine, that's when really we can do anything. They can do anything. They'll go away for a week. We're like, have fun. Love ya. Cause we feel their heart attunement. Mm -hmm. But if they're not attuned to us, that's when we get insecure. That's when we get nervous. That's when we don't feel confident. And that is the same thing with when we're speaking or when with other people, if we're not attuned to them, Mm. we can't tell or predict if they're going to pay attention or like feed us in that connective way that we desire. Hmm. But it's hard because you can lose it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really intriguing piece. It's the empath too. And also when you're kind of psychic, when you're reading people, you know, you kind of are like, okay, what are they thinking about? And like, part of our gift is the psychic abilities is the empath work. So we can say things that aren't coming from us, but that actually 
are going to serve the entire group, Mm -hmm. which is so powerful. That's part of the feminine serving the group through our channeling, through our messages. And men aren't as likely to do that. They're going to share what feels true for them, what feels powerful for them. When we tune into the group, it can throw us off or it can really keep us in our power because we're reading for the group. Hmm. Very beautiful wisdom nuggets being being woven in here. Okay. And I want to stay on this empath train that we're on because when I was meditating on our time together, that bubble rose to the surface mainly because in all of the infinite areas of spirituality and the paths of consciousness, empathic gifts, it's one that honestly, I, I know I have it to a certain degree, but it also feels pretty foreign and I haven't covered it at all on ceremony circle. So I was like, and I know that that feels, it feels to me to be a zone that you have a deep understanding of. So I just want to let you keep taking us like, first of all, because I'm sure in the soul fam listening, there's probably a lot of empaths listening right now. And how can you start to figure out what an empath really is? What does it mean? And what were a couple of the first telltale signs within you where you were like, oh, that thing that felt rough or that I was struggling with, it's because I'm being empathic in such and such way. Because there's so much to unpack with this. Yeah. And with the empath work, it was something I resisted for so long. Because I felt like people would use the word in the victim mentality where I heard people say, I'm an empath, you know, I'm at a toxic job and I'm an empath. It's so hard. I'm in this relationship and I'm an empath. And it just would be used in a way where people would give their power away and people would find themselves victim to the energetic current of a room Mm. or of a person or of a situation where they would be the ones that would be in receipt of whatever energy was going on instead of controlling their own energy field or being the one that was going to entrain the field themselves Mm. with their energetic signature. And so I never really liked it. I was like, empaths like complain. Empaths are just like whiny, like, and there's also shadow for me because I'm a Pisces. And so I'm someone that's like had to really work on my sensitivities and kind of come into power with them. But I never really resonated with the word until a few years ago when I just really had to sit with myself and be really honest. And I really had to look at the situations in my life and how they presented and see how my sensitivity was part of what I was experiencing. So as an example, we were talking about ceremonies recently. So I went to a place to do a medicine ceremonies and I actually, because I'm so sensitive, could not get into any experience with the medicine because I knew that if I would, it would feel dangerous or unsafe for me. Hmm. So my sensitivity, my protector part had to come out and protect myself because I felt like I would not be safe because I'm so sensitive. I could feel the people around me. I was almost overtaken even when, you know, we weren't on the medicine. And then there's been experiences in my life where I'll go into places and spaces and I will feel emotional. I'll feel angry. I'll feel upset. I'll feel impacted by things that are unseen. And are you able in that moment have you developed the skill set to instantly recognize what's yours and what's not? Now I can much more so. Uh-huh. And now I don't attach to it as much. So last night, as an example, I was with a friend who's going through something. I went to bed and was crying for probably 30 minutes, hmm. just sort of processing 
whatever's going on. And normally before I'd be like, what's wrong with me? Why am I so emotional? What am I crying about? What are all these things? But I was really probably having a cellular release of all the emotions and things we were processing. And because my body's so sensitive, there's an experience that I'm having where I'm releasing a lot of what we were talking about and a going cleansing. through a cleansing. So empaths can be people that are taking what normal people experience as empathy to an extreme or to a next level. So most people as humans should have qualities where they're empathetic and empathy is really the mirror neurons. So within our brain, we have something that correlates to our eyes called mirror neurons. So if you were to come to me and you have an angry look on your face, my mirror neurons are activating and they're telling me you're angry because I'm seeing what's happening and I might get angry myself. I might feel what you're feeling because we as humans are connected creatures. So empaths have near neurons that are much more active than other people's. So if you come to me angry, I'm going to be stressed in my body. I'm not only going to react, but I might react in a way where my nervous system gets incredibly activated. I become incredibly fearful. I'd become incredibly activated by your experience where someone who's the opposite of an empath, a psychopath, wouldn't feel anything that you're feeling, would have the ability to have less active mirror neurons and not actually feel anything that you're feeling. So empaths are very, very sensitive beings. We connect with animals and nature and spirits and dreams and colors and so many different of the beautiful aspects of life. But when you are someone that feels life more fully, it's more beautiful and it can be more challenging. Yeah. Cause I was just picturing there's infinite scenarios that could come into play where you walk into a gathering, a, a party, yes. a space, and, and, and you think you know pretty much who all is going to be there. You're like ready for a good time. And then due to your highly empathic yes. nature, you walk in and boom, you get a wave, you get kind of bombarded by an unexpected feeling or essence or texture that's in, in that room. And so I'm curious, like what then, what is the management yeah. system like, especially when there's an unexpected wave? Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I think I'm hopeful, you know, the audience has all felt that experience where you're like, whoa, either positive or negative. Yeah. You can be at a concert music festival and be like, whoa, I'm feeling something in my body. Like I'm feeling an energy that's like enlivening me or you're at a toxic work environment and you feel frustrated, depressed, like all of these things. So the way that I've learned to manage my energy, Reiki training, my mm. energetic training has helped a lot. That that's, makes sense. That's really helped me understand the subtle body, but for people to just be able to catch themselves in the moment. So if I come to see you and I feel you're feeling really emotional and I'm wanting to be here for you and be there for your experience, but I'm also wanting to be in my own body. Mm -hmm. I'll just feel my feet on the ground as a first step and just be like, Ooh, I'm feeling the weight of my feet on the ground. I'm calling my energy back to my body. I'll call my energy back and just be like, okay, my energy is safe in my body. I like to put my hand over my heart. Mm, I do that a lot. Such a good one. So then you're connecting with your body. You're connecting with the heart. And what it's really doing for me is just denoting a difference between my physical body and your physical body. So although our energy is collaborating right now, our auras are collaborating right now, we still want to be in our own energetic essence and our own energetic signature to be ourselves. And I think with the empath work, what I've found to be so beautiful is that I want to give my essence and energy 
its best chance in this lifetime to experience itself. Mm. And before I would abandon myself, if someone was upset, if they were emotional, I would match their energy for safety. So I would, Mm. I would become emotional. I would become upset because I felt like I had to do that to be safe. Can you unpack that a tiny bit more? How would that equate to you being safe? Is it because then you're feeling similar to them and helping them and that makes you feel safer because you're helping or so from a young age, if you grow up in a household with parents that are really inconsistent, that are emotionally unstable, that don't have a good control of their nervous system, your nervous system as a child and toddler learns to co-regulate with theirs. So their nervous system is hijacked or heightened. Mm -hmm. The way that you feel safe is by co-regulating with yours or you learn to co-regulate with Mm. yours. Or if you're a child from me and my experience, if my mother was having an episode or something was going on, it would not be safe for me to be happy or excited or in my own experience when she's having an episode. Uh, So I felt like I found safety and I found my worthiness by being in the same energy frequency as her. Wow. So I was a training to her experience. Hey fam, popping in here super quick to remind you that my best-selling Animal Power book and card deck are both available and out now. Animal Power book is 100 animals to energize your life and awaken your soul. It's a deluxe compendium of power animals. So anytime you dream of an animal or have an animal continuously crossing your path and you're wondering why is this animal showing up so much for me, just pop into my beautiful book that also has a gorgeous full page color illustration of each animal to learn its wisdom teachings and meanings so you can more deeply understand why that animal showed up in your life. An animal power deck is super fun to work with. You can pull a random card to see what animal has a message for you that day or ask the deck a specific question to see what clarity might reveal. Both animal power book and deck are available everywhere books are sold. The book has been the number one new release in shamanism and many other categories. You can also get them from my website. And when you visit there, allisoncharles.com backslash animal power. That's A-L-Y-S-O-N, allisoncharles.com backslash animal power. You'll also receive a free video drumming shamanic journey that I personally guide where you can meet your current power animal. I appreciate your support so much. And now back to today's show. This is a really enlightening conversation because it's so different than what I normally chat about. And I'm, and I'm seeing, I've been curious about my own empathy throughout the years, you know, and it's like, I'm still learning. I think that piece of me, like, let's say there's an empathy scale of zero to 100. And I'm sure it fluctuates depending upon the situation, but I've had my own self inquiry of like overall on that zero to 100 scale, like where do I think I land in there? And sometimes I wonder if I could be a little bit more, have a bit more empathy. And then sometimes I wonder if like I'm a full on empath and I'm just not fully like acknowledging it or seeing it. So it's been this kind of elusive, intriguing. How do you see your gifts? Cause like you are someone who's sensitive. You can, I'm a seer. I'm a seer. Sight is your, I see everything. Wow. Do you feel anything in your body? Uh, at times, yeah. at times. Yeah. It, okay. Let me see if I can track with this a little bit more clear when I, 
see something. The piece that I've been working on for a long time, and I've made really, really big headway, especially even in the last few months, I've had a ton of initiations, mm. a lot of incredibly deep ceremonies. And I, in pretty much all of them, I've examined what I'm about to say. I have noticed, especially in the last couple of years, when I see a lot in someone, I typically shine my spotlight of medicine transmission typically goes right to the thing that is not working in someone, the thing that needs to be purified, yeah. the thing that needs to be like the vulture medicine cleaned up. And then what will happen in me is a couple of things. I will then assess and my discernment, I have to say, like in all honesty, it's pretty effing spot on. Like mm -hmm. I can really instantly see if that person has acknowledged and has any awareness around this shadow component, if they're willing to do any work around it, if they want to stay completely closed off to it, like I can start to see the whole workings of this mechanism, how long it's been going, where they're at in their journey with it. If I'm supposed to speak to it or not, just all the things start flooding in. But the piece that I'm in this long story getting to is the hook that I started to observe in myself in the last couple of years that I have been unhooking from and reworking lately is I would start to get super aggro, angry, mm -hmm. angry at them for not fucking putting in the yeah. work. And so that's the yeah. piece when you ask, like, do you start to feel it in your body? The frustration, the aggravation, the anger that this person is letting this behavior persist, that they're not letting themselves see it, that they have an unwillingness mm -hmm. to become conscious to it, that they have an unwillingness to tend to it, take responsibility, accountability. Those are all the components where I would get into the more body and emotional hook mm -hmm. of what I'm seeing in them. I don't know if, did you see that experience happen in your childhood where you saw parents or something not? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Actually, I don't know if in this exact vein I've spoken about, yeah, so yeah. a lot of childhood components yeah. before, but from this lens, I don't know that I've tracked it in that way. Yeah. I, at a young age, felt yeah. I had that choice point of yeah. keep my seer, all my shamanic gifts alive, my it's pure connection to God, goddess completely alive. And at the cost of my relationship with my dad coach or greatly suppress survive with my dad coach. Right. So that was the, the component and, and God bless him. If people listen, you know, I love my dad. I'm not faulting my dad. He had some incredibly deep trauma yeah. done to him as a young boy. And I know so clearly that's the root of the, some of the trauma dysfunctions yeah. that would project out, but that was the thing that I'm sure I know that I couldn't keep seeing yeah. all that I was seeing and his wounding. It was too much as yeah. like a three-year-old. Yep. Of course. And so many people have that experience where you have to shut off your gifts because it's a little bit too much. Yeah. So I'm sure when you put your gifts back on, you're like, okay, it's time to use our gifts. We're going to see. And when you see something so clearly and you don't see someone doing that, that can be incredibly activating. And it's one of the experiences 
of people that have gifts. And I think with empaths, you can be clairvoyant, you know, like you, you can see things, you can be claircognizant, you can be clairaudient, you can have various types of gifts that really just give you a deeper and richer part of the human experience, because not all people are seeing what you're seeing Mm -hmm. and not all people feel what empaths feel. Not all people feel or sense in the way that we do. And I like to think of an empath as really someone that's like probably a starseed being someone that just has this energetic frequency or signature that just makes us go beyond the physical reality. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're looking at the audience at that event, when he's speaking and you're speaking and you notice people shift, that's beyond the physical experience. Cause you could say, Oh, they're all facing me. Mm-hmm. You know, I see bodies are here. They're all technically here, mm-hmm. but there's something that you're noticing that's yeah. happening energetically yeah. that you're picking up on that you're then processing as X, Y, and Z. Yes. Oh my gosh. This is so interesting. It's wild. I mean, that's, I have to do so much work around that because, you know, when I went into the darkness, so I did a darkness retreat, I had to really look at that part of me that if I don't perceive people to be listening, I will just be done. I will just kind of remove myself. I will not trust them. I will sort of disengage. So what's the other way with that? What's the the other avenue? The other way with that is basically, I know. So the other way with that is basically being like, I am worthy enough of what I'm saying to be said. Uh-huh. I'm saying what I'm saying for me and not for your reaction. Yes, yes, yes. So that's where empathy can be codependency, mm-hmm. where it's basically all about how you're reacting. If you're reacting in a way, I'm going to continue. If you're not, I'm going to disengage and it's control. Mm-hmm. It's how can I control our connection and make sure we stay connected by saying things that you like to hear by saying, it's all about you and how you're receiving it rather than how I'm feeling saying it. So interesting. Cause yeah, the codependency flashed in yeah. when you were giving the example of when you were young oh, yeah. and attuning to your mom's emotional experience. And then I was reflecting like, what are my ways with that? And with that piece, I feel in pretty darn good mastery. Like, especially if Luke is, um, he's a hard worker and, um, he has a lot going on in his career. And let's say that he like technical difficulties and I can hear him in the office, like (laughs) getting flustered or whatever. That's just one small example, but I am able very quickly to recognize like not allowing myself to get pulled into his yes, there you go. storm. And I'm yes. just like, that's his experience. And I don't need to grip or tense up or have a fearful yes. experience just because he's having a tough moment. I'm actually, how am I feeling? I'm actually having a really good day and I'm a sovereign being and I'm allowed to stay having a great day, even if he's having a frustrated day. So with that's that cool. piece, I'm good, but it was taking me codependency. Yeah. It was taking me into the codependency thing, but I forget where, where within that, maybe within your relationship that you've had to look at things or some, or like, yeah. Cause sometimes Mm. within our intimate relationships, that can be the space where, you know, it's mirroring what we need to heal, where we become codependent. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Huh. Well, I don't know where else I was going to go in that river, but I feel like there's some other piece with the empath category before we switch gears into other terrain that I want to cover with you. Well, codependency, that was something that I also didn't really realize I was codependent until later in life. I have Lindsay, who's my podcast co-host and best friend, and she started to go to therapy first. And I remember she went to therapy for her codependency. She was like, I'm codependent. We were very codependent together. And I was like, she's codependent. I'm not, I'm super good over here. I was like, that's so cute that she's codependent. 
And then I really was like, wow, that's her thing. Like she's codependent. I'm just so independent. And I really realized over time how truly codependent I was Mm. and how truly what would happen for me is that I would get in social situations and I would really self-abandon for everyone else. I would just prioritize their needs over mine. I would prioritize their experience over mine. I would find myself in service by really just making it all about them. So I'd be, people would leave situations with me. They're like, Oh my God, Krista's like my best friend. I feel so close to her. And the whole time I didn't share a single thing about myself, Uh. a single thing about my life, a single thing about about how I feel about anything, but I was that safe space as a listener. And it's really beautiful to be that type of person, but I never let people really see me or know me. I didn't actually let people have access to the person that I was. And that's how I controlled the situation or experience. But in my relationship that I just recently ended, there was a lot of codependency there as well, where he would be in a certain mood, I'd match his mood, and we'd be very dependent on each other for like the energetic current of how we were feeling. And we really did a lot of self-abandoning where we eventually in the end, once we were very sovereign, discovered that we actually weren't compatible because for so long when I'm doing whatever he wants to do, because I feel like that's what I have to do. He's doing whatever I want to do because that's what he feels like he has to do. But then when you wake up one day and you're like, actually, I don't want to do any of that. And he doesn't want to do any of that. Exactly. When you're no longer appeasing, Hmm. being safe, self-abandoning, and you realize and wake up to who you truly are and your true values, then you're like, whoa, we actually have had a really good run Mm -hmm. and it's been amazing. But the person that I am when I'm actually sovereign Mm. and in my own field and in my own experience isn't a match for you anymore. Wow. Okay. So you brought me to the two other terrains that I wanted to cover with you. And that was the fascination that you and Lindsay have been able to traverse. Mm-hmm. You've had almost 30 and in, in different prongs yeah. on that overall brand for quite a number of years. And then along with being co-hosts and co-CEOs or yeah. whatever your titles are together, you also are best friends and yeah. the sister vibe coming in. And it's like, that's a lot to track and manage. And I was so curious if you had anything you're willing to share around, you said that she went to therapy. So that's one piece of it. But like, how have you two managed to like unravel and unhook what needed to be unhooked and stay in this? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, female friendships are so layered and nuanced and challenging. And I think I've had more heartbreak from female friends than I have had from any romantic relationship in my life. And I had so much challenge with my female relationships for so long. Mm. Yeah. I was just in these situations where it'd be so hot and heavy. We'd be so meshed. We'd be like exactly like each other. And then it would probably blow up, Mm -hmm. you know, because we'd be like too much intimacy and then go. So Lindsay and I met and, um, we started almost 30 quickly after we never knew it was going to be anything. We never knew it would be closet floors, two little messes. (laughs) And there was a soul recognition, you know, Uh for sure. So I remember my tiny tiny apartment in Venice with my then partner walking across the floor to the kitchen and just hearing my soul say the missing puzzle piece. Mm. And it was like, Lindsay for me was the missing puzzle piece for my mission for the past couple of years. And we developed this relationship and bond that has been incredibly karmic and incredibly intense and incredibly powerful for the first couple of years. It was really challenging. We were in a situation where I was incredibly controlling 
I w- felt like I had to control almost 30, control Lindsay, control the situation or I wouldn't be safe or we wouldn't be successful. Right. We wouldn't make it as far. So she was kind of in a situation where she would give her power away. She would kind of do whatever I said. And we just had this like intense energy that didn't feel good. The first couple of years of our friendship was really beautiful and powerful because we had these amazing conversations at almost 30, but energetically it didn't feel good. Like she always felt like she was never enough. I always felt like I was doing so much. Mm-hmm. So we were in this scenario that was like a mm-hmm. lot of medicine that we had to work through. We had to be really honest about and, and most wouldn't survive. Most wouldn't survive. No. No, and I'm so grateful that we've had the tools and the conversations and now we're masters at clearing conversations. We have them very regularly. We've done plant medicine together. We've worked with therapists and coaches and she's shown me so much about like just emotional maturity and processing and kindness and the way that we approach conversations is so Mm -hmm. powerful now. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the story that I'm telling myself is that you're going to leave me, you know, now that you're married, Mm. that I'm not going to be your priority Mm. now that you're married and that we're not going to be as close. And when you come to someone regulated in your nervous system with truth and kindness, and we always have clearing conversations on walks on the beach because you're moving, you're next to each other, your water element, water moving in the same direction, the wind, the sun, And just saying what's true. So we come to our conversations very processed. So if I'm feeling like Lindsay's a fucking bitch, if I'm in just like that reactive, activated part of me, if there's a small part of me that's saying she's all these things, I will process that with my therapist. Right. I'll process that with maybe one friend and then I'll come to her processed. Yeah. This is what's a game changer. Game changer. That is the number one thing we've never once yelled. We've never once name called. We've never once maybe a few times we've said something that was like uh that was a little spicy that was a little crunchy a little crunchy a little spicy (laughs) but there was something that happened with not us but other friends that came to us about something and they're like i'm just being honest you are this you are that you are all these things and that actually is not true Hmm. that's actually something that's not honest Hmm. because what's honest is i'm hurt Right. I feel this type of way. I'm experiencing this thing. And so we never come with use. We yeah. never blame. We never finger point. And we just try and come as processed and as in love as we can and as about the mission as we can. And I've just been addicted to taking responsibility now. Mm-hmm. She's just shown me that it's safe to take responsibility. Mm-hmm. I had a clearing conversation with a friend two nights ago and I, I messed up. She told me something that was, I should have kept in private and I didn't. And I had to just be like, you know what? I completely own it. Mm -hmm. That was completely Mm -hmm. my bad. Mm -hmm. Wasn't right. I shouldn't have done it. I'm so sorry. How can I make it up to you? And before I'd feel so ashamed and guilt. You would be trapped in the shame. Trapped. My shame would be like, what are you talking about? You do that too. Shame will fucking grip you. It will grip me and it will take over you. And it doesn't allow intimacy. So friendship and intimacy and our intimacy has served as like the bedrock for my life. And now as an example for what I want in my friendships and relationships, but it's not easy. It's like, it's not easy. And so I always tell women that struggle with business partners or female relationships, like it'll be the deepest medicine that you have, but it's provided me the greatest gift of a true intimate relationship that has shown me 
where I'm not intimate with so many different people in my life, mm -hmm. actually. Mm -hmm. That is so beautiful. Thank you for your honesty. Yeah. And I can also say for Luke and I in our marriage, those game changing ways of coming yes. together and expressing. Yeah. We are both so grateful and masters say, yeah, I thank you. And I agree. We are both masters in that. And I can say that with humility, having come from <laughs> a past abusive relationship that I was stuck in for almost 20 freaking years that caused my divine intervention. So I know the full spectrum of dysfunction, codependency, denial, illusion, yep. and like true mastery, emotional maturity. One of the things like if I'm experiencing something and even if it's happening in real time in the moment, I'll just say to him, what is coming up for me is, and it's like, I'm not making this about him. I'm not saying that what he just said was wrong or he's bad. I'm saying, oh, okay. And this conversation, like what I'm experiencing through that, what's coming up for me is, or like you said, the story that I, my mind is creating yes. in this is such and such. And just that one differentiating factor yep. can be um, huge. Yeah. I also love the phrase, help me to see the truth. Oh, that's beautiful. So you can come to someone, you know, if I'm spinning out, mm. I'm like, I'm not a priority for them. They don't care about me. They don't want to hang out with me. They don't want to prioritize the business. It's like, babe, I'm feeling like you're not prioritizing the business, but I want you to help me see the truth. Help uh, me to know the truth of what it is. And it's really just giving people the opportunity to like be more intimate with you because we have such an attachment to our experience, but my experience is built on many lifetimes many energetic mm -hmm. signatures, so much of my subconscious, so mm -hmm. much of my lifetime experience. So it's not always true. Yeah. It's not always true. And yeah. we need our relationships to help us co-create the actual truth. Yeah. What flashed in there was even the archetype wheel, you know, yes. in each one of us, we have, I mean, depending upon what school of thought and what lineage you do that work in, but the one I was educated in, I think there was 12 main archetypes that each one of us have. And there's hundreds of different types of arc, but in this many hour long journey doing that work, you eventually arrive to your 12 main. And it's like with each one of those 12 main archetypes that I embody, each has a shadow component yeah. and an enlightened component. And it's like, I mean, yes, there could be so much going on in just one narrative thread that we create. Like for me, um, in the house. Oh, and then in the wheel of your 12 main archetypes, each one is in a different house. So in the house of my highest potential lies the victim archetype. Wow. Isn't that freaking wild? Wow. So, and I've, and so the, the opposite of victim is perpetrator. Okay. Okay. Correct. Right. Do you ever work with like the both sides of it? Uh, you know, that's a beautiful question. I mean, I feel like I have in ways, but not like a conscious, like I'm going to examine the perpetrator totally. side, but I, with the victim, knowing the house that it lives in, knowing the different sides of it, like I have worked that area for many, many years. Um, and you feel like there was points in time in your journey where you were activated in the victim. Archetype? Yeah. 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 Like even in my shamanic calling, even recently, and some of it has merit and some of it is valid, but yeah. then there are areas like 
where I just remind myself to keep an eye on things because it lives in the house of my highest potential. And my calling is being as healthily embodied and integrity filled shaman as I can. It's like, I have to really watch the victim pieces of like, it's a fucking tough lot in life to be a woman, primarily European shaman who's front facing, who's in the media, like to just the way in which my calling functions, the physicality of it, the way that it works. I monitor and watch relentlessly. Like some of it is real. Some people have a hard time digesting a powerful woman who's a medicine woman, who is a real shaman who comes from small town in Indiana. A lot of that doesn't compute to people's boxes. So there is validity in some of it, but I But that knowing where the victim lives helps me not to wallow in those waters because I'm just like, it is what it is. Yes, 100%. You know, but it's a lot to watch. That's huge though. And for anyone listening, it's like, we have to know that our paths, if we're walking our true path, you know, Carl Jung talks about if the path in front of you is clear, you're following someone else's blueprint. Mm. And we have to know that if we're following our own soul's journey, it might not make sense. It might not be clear. It might not be something you could put in your Instagram bio. It might not be something that's like packaged up. You can make a course about, you could sell a masterclass about, you could just like be like, I am this. Mm -hmm. It's like, it it might not make sense. Mm -hmm. And I think that's been a huge learning for me in my life being sort of a trailblazer of sorts. It's like, I've had to really be okay with it not making sense to people. Mm-hmm. And for people being like, what, what do you want to do? What is that? Yeah. Well, that doesn't. And it's like, oh, that's actually exactly yes. on time. We live outside the computing lanes of most people's parameters. And as, as a trailblazer, hello, that's where you yes. live is outside yes. of those lanes. And yes. so I've had to really reconcile that pretty relentlessly for a long yeah. time. There's another quote too. It's like, if it's something about like, if what you're doing makes sense to people, you're also too late. Mm. It means like you're actually not someone that is being the first of the path, the first on the journey, the first bringing through your own unique medicine to the world. But it's not easy. You know, I think for your community, they're probably such soul led people that have their own unique medicine and their own unique experience. It can be challenging to bring through your own codes and your own magic. And especially in the world of social media today, where it feels like it has to be channeled through the one medium of social media, Mm -hmm. it feels like, okay, I have this own unique thing. How can I make it an Instagram? Mm -hmm. How can I make it a course program coaching, how can I make it? And it just all gets funneled to this place. That's just so heartbreaking for me to see, because there's so many avenues outside of this box of social media that you could channel your gifts or your magic or your uniqueness. But we just always go back to that because we feed the avatar of it first. Absolutely. So many bullseyes and all of that. Ah, wow. We've covered a lot of ground. We're at an hour. So before, do you have any sort of closing ritual you feel called to share a closing prayer, a closing statement? I'll let you think about that. Mm. And before we get to that, I was also curious just because we haven't been able to drop in fully on this, but I was aware from social media that you went through a divorce or are in root of that journey. I don't know exactly where you're at, but also just curious if there was any medicinal 
wisdom nugget from that recent experience that you wanted to share? You know, I'm yeah. sure that was a, a powerful. Biggie. <laughs> That's powerful. I was with my partner for 10 years. We had a spiritual ceremony. We never legally got married, which I'm so grateful for. Mm. And that has its own whatever you're assuming that to be about that is true. <laughs> that has its own subconscious mm, obviousness. Interesting. But I think the thing that I learned the most from this whole process is that it's almost as if once we released each other back to the world, that we loved each other more. And I found that I loved him so much more because I wasn't trying to make him be something he wasn't. I wasn't saying, if you don't do this, I won't love you. Mm -hmm. If you don't grow in this way, I won't love you. If you don't say this thing that I want you to say, if you don't act in this certain way, if you don't look in this certain way, if you don't be in this certain way. And I've really allowed this beautiful freedom of our relationship to be like, we're such dear friends and we just really love and respect each other. And it's like, now that I have no expectations for him to change or be something or fill this this role of my husband or my partner, all these things, he can be exactly who he is. And I can love and respect him for that. And I found this like unconditionality of our love where before I had conditions, mm. you're not being this person. I want you to be, you're not growing in the way I want you to grow. You're not saying what I want you to say. You're not doing what I want you to do. And he had the same exact expectation of me. And so I've just found this like expansiveness of love that I'm really looking forward to bring through into my next relationship where I can be like, Part of the way that I love you is that I love you exactly as you are. And I'm going to find all the ways in which I can love you by still being myself, by you still being yourself, but actually being in that true love rather than the conditionality of love that we had placed on each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Aho. Aho. Thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I know that way you described very well. Oh yeah. Um, and it's so insidious. Yeah. It's so it's insidious. And, and we do that to ourselves. And when I was in, you know, the darkness as well, that was something that came up where I was like, Ooh, I'm conditional with my love. Mm. I'm conditional with my love with others and myself. I love myself. If I look good, I love myself. If I say the right thing, mm. I love myself. If I'm making enough money, I love myself. If my friends all love me, I love myself. If I'm successful, I love myself. If seeing the, how the worthiness gets tied yep. into so many different, to ways. all of it. Mm. And we, how can we love ourselves in this moment here and now with however our body looks, however our relationships are, however we feel, however we're expressing in the world, instead of just trying to bypass the present moment and present experience. And I think in our spirituality space, it can be so beautiful, all the future work that we do, the visualizations, the meditations, the manifestations, but it's still sort of bypassing exactly where we are and finding that true medicine and like Although I don't really, I'm not really feeling exactly super successful or super embodied or all these things. I still love, honor, and accept myself exactly as I am. I've chosen to grow a lot in all of the areas that you have just described. And if anyone needs any sort of glimmer of hope out there, again, just remember where I and Luke, we both yes. come from wild histories and especially in the relationship categories for both of us and both getting to a point where, you know, um, in a certain kind of way in our own unique ways, questioning and wondering like, wow, maybe this relationship stuff is just, we're just not cut out for it. I thought it was meant for me. I thought I could feel and see a vision of a healthy 
sacred union and starting a family, but maybe that's where I'm wrong. You know, like we have gone through the full gamut and gauntlet. And I think people, when they come to that, maybe it's not for me. Maybe I won't have it in this lifetime. That's the moment. The moment. It was the moment for me. Everybody that I know that has found their divine match had to get there. It was the moment. And I was really at peace with it because this was when I was living on my own in Brooklyn. And I just was like, you know what? I had know how to be celibate for basically five years. I know how to live on my own. I, and I love my own company. I've grown to trust myself and love myself and like, okay, I guess if that's my lot in life, okay. And it was literally immediately after that, that Luke asked me out on our first date. And then the other interesting thing with the self-love yeah. And not attaching the, the worthiness and the conditions of love into those different, uh, you guys in your path, how you were in media. Yeah. He was obviously doing his thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Like I've given myself full permission in this past year, especially I was genuinely called and guided into a zone of experiencing myself and experiencing life that was so opposite of my typical norm. And what some of the ways in which that looked is sitting on the couch whenever I want, however long I want with the TV on with love reality shows on and learning. I am not changing. I am not a different person. My value, my wisdom, my embodiment, my truth, my worthiness as a human, as a shaman is not shifting. If I'm choosing in the middle of the day from 12 to three to watch as many episodes of love Island as I UK as I want. And that it might sound so silly and such a funny example, but that is honestly some of the most powerful work I've done this entire lifetime is to in that, I mean, and I've done this work of knowing my treasured value and worth in a lot of different capacities, but learning it by sitting on the couch and quote unquote, doing nothing, but just being and attuning to the knowingness of who I am while I'm doing that is, has been so deep because <laughs> the spiritual ego is like, you're not spiritual. Yeah. You're sitting on the couch, watching TV, watching reality TV. You're not spiritual. You haven't done enough. Mm-hmm. You're not, so, you know what I mean? You're not, you're not, you're not, you're not producing, you're not accomplishing, you're not accomplishing, you're not helping, you know, all the things. And it's like, yeah, that's, I have chills because our most powerful work is usually the most simple. Mm-hmm. For, I agree. For me, it's saying how I feel to someone I love mm-hmm. regularly, whether it's what they want to hear, what they don't want to hear. You know what I mean? How can we just be with the small, minute, micro hearts? Oh, I can hear my spiritual ego. Like you are not, this is, if people knew a shaman was watching love Island, they would be so, okay. I'm going to sit here. Yeah. I'm going to be with that part. Yeah. And yeah. from an internal family systems perspective, yeah. which is a lot of my work too. It's like, 
ooh, that part of me that feels bad yeah. doing this. Yeah. Because like I got that identity. Wrong, yeah. Right? Uh-huh. Something's wrong. I feel like so many of your audience can probably relate to that, especially in our space. I watch comedy podcasts. Mm-hmm. Comedy podcasts are my freaking jam. And sometimes I'm like, I need to be learning about Hermes Trismegistus more. I, I need, need to, to be... do another family constellation. Exactly. Journey. Exactly. Uh-huh. Like I need to be learning about this thing so I can talk about this thing and I can do this thing. And it's like, whoa, how can we just like actually follow our heart, our gut, our intuition and unplug for a second Mm -hmm. from the whole matrix of spirituality. Mm -hmm. And just Mm -hmm. like, actually, it's very spiritual for me to rest, do what I want to do. Yeah. And actually, this is the most powerful work I can honestly be doing right now is attuning to this, reminding my, remembering this truth. And it is funny because I you know, thankfully hold no shame around it. And so somehow when it comes up and when people come over in conversations, like, what have you been up to? I'm like, well, honestly, and don't get me freaking wrong. Along with doing the Netflix love reality shows, I have been in the strongest initiations and ceremonies of my life. So like, it is that too. But when I say like, oh, you know, I've really been loving being a wife and bringing in pregnancy and learning how to enjoy being a couch potato. And they're like, oh, really? You know, what are you watching? Like, I don't think I can think of one person when I'm honest about that piece that hasn't said, I freaking love that about you. Yeah. So it's the opposite of what people want that conditioning want to tell us is true. Oh yeah. yeah. And people want to do that. People, it's funny because you could see all the spiritual stuff, but then once you're like, yeah, I've been chilling on the couch. Yeah. People are like, oh my God. I want to give myself permission to chill on the couch. Yeah. I want to give myself permission to watch reality TV. I feel like I've had to do all the things and my finding my worthiness and knowing everything and doing everything. And that part of our spiritual path where we feel like it's a mountain to climb mm-hmm. is just such not the thing. Yeah. Spirituality is not climbing the mountain. Spirituality is like being with what is and loving what is. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that feels like a good one to end on. I feel so like this was such a vibe. Thank vibe. you. And I feel so great and whole and complete. Frick, and, yeah. Unless you, I feel great. Okay. Yeah. Me too. I hope you all feel great too. Yes. I think Cookie's chilling. She's feeling great. She's a little thick girl taking a nap. Yeah. She's a cookie girl. And she loves girl time too. She loves she going to the, the closet codes. and watching. Watching mama put, get dressed, get dressed. She loves on the occasion when I might put a little makeup on, she just, she'll sit in the bathroom and just watch mama. She's such the animal medicine is life. Yeah. I had baby voice to every single creature. I do too. I like stop my car on the street. Like there's cats in Austin and I was like stopping. I'm like, hi kitty. Yeah. The cats are like, have you seen any of the wild peacocks roaming around? They're out here in Lakeway. No peacocks are my, when I'm going through something, peacocks come through. I saw deers. Yeah. They're all over deer medicine this morning. Saw some snakes. I've been seeing a lot of snakes. Oh, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. sneaky snake. Yeah. The peacocks roam these lands. Wow. Including where you're at near me. When you look at a peacock, you're like, God is the best artist. I come on. I don't know how you can't have a glimmer of that thought. The awe struckness of, especially when they just fan those tail feathers. Are you see the white ones? Oh yes. You're like, there's, I mean, mesmerizing being in awe is one of my favorite experiences and emotions. And you can't help but be in awe of a peacock. I agree. My first brand for myself when I got fired from a TV production job. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Greatest gift. That fire medicine came in and 
course corrected me. Yes. And um, my first website and brand for myself was in awe with Allie. And the awe was adventure, wellness, and empowerment. So I would like wow. cover like blogs and interviews and yeah, do on-location interviews that kind of fell into one of those three categories, but it was the awe. Medicine. I love that. Yeah. So anywho, there you go. Well, thank you. Thank you, babe. This, this is, is so, fun. I'm so glad I got to see the castle. <sighs> I was just like, I need all of my inspiration and I need all of the, yeah, this is a dream. Like, mm. and I'm just so happy for you and Luke. I literally was thinking on the way. I'm like, oh, how beautiful and special and like God's timing it's just the best. It's the best. God is just the best. Thank you, God, Goddess, again yes. for bringing us together. And oh, yes, Amen. Uh-huh. So, well, thanks for coming over. Thanks for visiting yes. Texas and to the Love Soul it. Fam. Thank you for joining us. And Love y'all. We we'll sit together again next time. Where can they find you? Oh yeah, almost thirty for the podcast, and then it's Krista. It's I T S K R I S T A. And then it's Krista.com. And I'm doing an empath retreat in Abitha, to know. which is going to be beautiful. When is that? October. Okay. Okay. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Check that out. If any of what we dove into mm-hmm. today, like struck a chord, I got you. Do some research into that and your decks, my decks. Oh yes. So I have two decks. I have a standard tarot, but it's just modern and earthy. And it's I wanted beautiful. to bring through like a non-gendered, super minimal aesthetic. And then I have for the law of one, which is a channel text that I really love in the channel text. They talk about tarot in this very unique way. So I wanted to bring through that tarot as channeled through the law of one. So I have two decks, which I'm going to gift you some at moderntarot.com. Great. Yeah. And it's Krista.com has, is like the main portal for all the things. Amazing. Well, thanks honey. Thank you. Next time I'll see you, you will be. Yeah. We will, you'll be breastfeeding. You'll have to, your next stop before you leave is right over there. Cause that's the baby altar. Okay. We'll sit with you again next time. Bye. Thanks for joining. Woo-wee, what a powerful voyage that was. It is always so fun and such an honor to share space with these beautiful beings willing to generously share their time, wisdom, and energy so we can have the opportunity to enrich our own lives. And we will always share each epic guest's links and contact info in the show notes that are on my website, alisoncharles.com, and also in my weekly Ceremony Circle podcast Instagram posts at I am Allison Charles. So it makes it easy for you to connect more deeply with them. And fam, you know by now all the heart I put into creating this show. And I would love to be able to continue providing this free content for a long, long time to come. And what would be most supportive in me being able to do that is if you have ever felt you've gained anything positive at all from listening to a Ceremony Circle podcast episode, if it's brightened your day, if it's given you clarity or insights you've been waiting for, if you felt a healing shift during one of the closing ceremony practices, anything at all, If you can just stay on whatever platform you're now listening to this show and simply go to the rating and review section and share even one reason why you're grateful for Ceremony Circle Podcast. Sacred reciprocity is a big deal and I deeply appreciate you giving back to me so I can keep creating and providing. Sending you so much love.
This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only, and my intention is not to provide medical advice or diagnosis. You should always consult a health professional before making drastic changes to your diet or lifestyle.